gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazov Podcast, the Armature Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The Phantom Zone, home of Krypton's worst criminals. But what would happen if they escaped and found themselves on a planet whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave them fantastic superpowers? Especially when they also put Superman in the Phantom Zone in the process. It's Kryptonian criminals versus the world's greatest superheroes, while Superman tries to get back to Earth. Charlie's Geek Cast presents The, the Phantom Zone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of Charlie's Geek Cast. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we are going to continue our month-long Charlie's Geek Cast Superman in the Bronze Age crossover, looking at the Phantom Zone miniseries by looking at issue 2. But first, I've got an email to read. Actually, it's a comment left on the latest show posting, and it's from our buddy Russell Bragg, who left a comment on episode 22, Geeking on the Fantastic Four, volume 3, number 1. Hello, I really enjoyed your 1990s cartoon special and the Fantastic Four comic review. With the 90s cartoons, I only recognize the superhero shows. I don't think I could give you a favor, but I do have all of those cartoons on DVD. Lucky or lucky to have a region-free DVD player so I can buy the UK sets for Spider-Man, Hulk, etc. As for the Fantastic Four, I bought only one comic book, and it was because of the cover, issue 213 and I wanted to see why Reed Richards looked ancient. Years later, I found the hardcover of that story called In Search of Galactus. An aging ray has three-quarters of the foursome at death's door, but they'll fight the scrolls to the finish alongside Nova and the champions of Xandar, at least until a greater threat rises from the champions' own ranks. The Sphinx is, all, is ready to conquer the world, and Mr. Fantastic knows of only one opponent who can stop him. Galactus, who just wants to destroy the world instead. There's also an appearance by everyone's favorite Fantastic Four member, Herbie the Robot. Add groans here. Oh, sorry. Uh... Most of my Fantastic Four knowledge comes from the cartoons, my favorite series being the 1967 Hanna-Barbera version, which was on DVD. 
Eagerly await your coverage of the Phantom Zone miniseries. I got the trade not too long ago, so I can follow along. And hopefully I'll have time to comment. Until then, take care. Russell. Well, thanks, Russell. I thought they were on DVD. I thought they released like the Captain America ones and the Hulk ones and the Spider-Man ones on DVD already. Huh. If they haven't, I, I, I know some. at least some of them are on YouTube. You might be able to see some there. But anyway, thank you very much for writing in, Russell. That's all the feedback we've got so far. So after a couple of promos, we're going to be right back where we move into the second issue of Phantom Zone. Charlie's Geekcast will be back after these messages. The Bronze Age of Comics, an era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Neymar and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? What? Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Superman presents The Phantom Zone, number two, had a cover date of February 1982, an on-sale date of November 19, 1981, and a cover price of 60 cents in the U.S. and 20p in the U.K. Earth Under Siege is the title of this story, written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Tony DeZanuga, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Carl Gafford, and edited by Dick Giordano, with Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Now free from the Phantom Zone and possessing the same superpowers as Superman, General Zod, Feora, Jaxer, Cruel, and Professor Faycox bust out of Charlie Queskill's apartment and fly off into the world. Still inside the apartment are Jerim, the mad prophet whose fanaticism inadvertently destroyed Argo City, who rants that Rao will punish Zod and the others. 
while Namek, whose serum, made from the horn of a slain Rondor, granted him immortality but turned him into a horned, misshapen creature, tells the old man to shut up. After Azrael and Nadira disagree with Namek, considering them all outcasts, they use their abilities to make him burn and feel the pain, causing him to fly off, screaming. They then leave the apartment, as the police arrive on site due to the explosion being considered an act of terrorism. When they refuse to freeze, the officers open fire, but the bullets just bounce off their Kryptonian skin, ricocheting back at the officers, while, while a phantom Superman and Charlie watch, helplessly. Meanwhile, in the Arctic, Zod and the others have picked up the giant key and are using it to bust through the front door of the Fortress of Solitude. Quickly, they use their heat vision to destroy both the Phantom Zone viewer and the Phantom Zone projector. Then Zod sends Faycox, Jaxer, and Cruel on a mission, while he tries hitting on Fayora, who rejects his advances with an elbow to the gut and flies off. 22,300 miles above Metropolis in geosynchronous orbit around the Earth, Cruel arrives at the JLA satellite, currently containing Flash, Zatanna, Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Black Canary, Firestorm, and Aquaman, fire and water, you know, and tosses it out on a tour of the outer planets. Then all three men proceed to destroy all of the satellites in orbit around Earth. In response, both the United States and the Soviet Union, both thinking that the other is attacking, launch their full nuclear arsenals. In DC, Diana Prince changes to Wonder Woman, hoping that her robot plane is fast enough to intercept the missiles. As air raid sirens wail in New York, Linda Danvers finds an empty alleyway, well, almost empty, it actually has a drunk guy in it, but he's drunk so he's not going to notice, when she changes to Supergirl and flies off to intercept missiles as well. Supergirl successfully stops the missiles over Arizona, while Wonder Woman takes out the missiles over the Bering Strait. When there are too many missiles for either of them to take care of their own, the two of them team up and smash them all together. In the Phantom Zone, Superman and Charlie meet up with Monel, who informs them that there still may be a way for them to escape the zone. Back in our dimension, Green Lantern returns to Earth after completing a, a mission in space and sees the remains of all the satellites floating around. Zooming down to the home of Hal Jordan, he sees that something has literally busted in, ransacked the place, and stolen his power battery. Even though he only has a few minutes left on his last charge, he follows the battery's trail to Jaxer, Cruel, and Vacox. He captures them in an energy bubble, but their super strength proves to be more powerful than even his will, and they bust out. Then they fly down to the highway below and overturn a 16-wheeler. While Green Lantern is busy trying to prevent an accident, Jaxer smashes into the hero, taking him to the ground. After threatening GL and telling him how easy it would be to just break every bone in his body, Jaxer then tries to melt Lantern's ring. But the ring withstands the heat long enough for Green Lantern to blast Jaxer away with an emerald blast. Unfortunately, this is the last of the ring's energy, and Vaycox takes his opportunity takes this opportunity to whack GL over the head with a power battery before the three Kryptonians fly off. While GL requests the lift to a doctor, Namek crashes down to Earth just off the Canadian shore of Lake Erie. But this is spotted by Wonder Woman, who lands her invisible jet in order to investigate. But rather than looking upon Namek in disgust, she looks upon him with pity, which Namek interprets, interprets as her toying with him, so he threatens her with death unless she admits that he disgusts her, and then slaps her into a nearby rock. Then he attempts to impale her with a tree, but she dodges the attempt and ends up tying him up with her lasso. While she compels him to tell her his entire life story, we switch to Gotham, where Batman is taking down some looters, when he is visited by Supergirl. Supergirl's worried because Superman didn't show up to help with the missiles and hasn't been spotted since. 
So Batman has her go check the fortress while he takes the Batplane across the bay to Metropolis, because in the Bronze Age, Metropolis was across the bay from Gotham. And all of them were nearby Smallville. And Midvale, for that matter. In Metropolis, or more specifically the WGBS building, Perry is giving Jimmy guff for seemingly ignoring World War III to bring him news of an apartment bombing. But once he learns that it was Charlie Queskel's apartment, he sends Lois and Jimmy there to find out what in the world is going on. Meanwhile, in the Arctic, Supergirl spots the damage done to the fortress door and angrily enters, where she confronts General Zod and demands to know where Superman is. He has no idea where Superman is, nor does he care, but Supergirl can't offer retort because Cruel quickly grabs her and flies her to the interplanetary zoo. She swats him away, but Jack Sir jumps in, twirling her around by her hair, before flinging her through another wall and into the super weapons room, where she crashes into the tachyon cannon that is still loaded, causing it to explode with enough force to send Supergirl to the edge of consciousness. Then Zod walks up, stomps her head into the ground, and completes that journey. Back in the Phantom Zone, Charlie, Superman, and Monel have reached a barrier at the end of the zone's misty regions. Beyond is the material world, but the zone is multi-leveled, and while a few have ventured to the next level, none have gone further, meaning that Superman and Charlie still have a long and uncertain journey ahead of them. And after a couple of quick promos, we'll take a look at my notes for this issue. Charlie's Geekcast will be back after these messages. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time, and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It, do, it really doesn't work well. So I checked right. uh, I checked my uh, mm-hmm. my pr- It definitely built, built me for the hotel for all three of us. Join Back to the Bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. The randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me. Listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20-minute long box. The 20-Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20-Minute Long Box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, I have a few more notes this time. Not a whole lot more, but 
quite a bit more. Starting off with page five, I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time bullets have been shown bouncing off a Kryptonian and striking a human, but I am betting that it didn't look this graphic, which honestly is still pretty lame by today's standards, but we actually see blood. Also, Zod standing on the key while the others are carrying it seems about right for his character. Page six, I'm not sure why the zoners needed to use the big key as a battering ram, because they could have just smashed or they, because they could have just smashed into it on their own but then again maybe it's some kind of a symbolic thing uh either in an adult nature or just to show that that's what kind of power they have i don't know on the other hand where are all the fortress defenses on issue 84 of superman of the bronze age i covered an issue of action comics in which we found out that brainiac was attacking the world with computers through the supercomputer in the fortress Superman had gone to the fortress eventually to investigate, and when he got in there, he was attacked by all the defenses, although Brainiac had enhanced them beyond normal. But he had robots attacking him, kryptonite gas, uh, laser defenses, everything were attacking Superman. But here, nothing. What's up with that? Page 8. The caption says that Cruel threw the JLA satellite, but the art shows that it was Jack Sir. Or at least the coloring shows it to have been Jack Sir. Which is weird. Page 9. Linda changing to Supergirl in front of the drunk is actually kind of funny. Because she takes off and he's like, I could have sworn she was a brunette. Page 11. I wonder how much of Wonder Woman's role in this story was due to the fact that it was Wonder Woman, and how much of it was due to the fact that Roy Thomas and Gene Cullen's debut as the creative team on Wonder Woman was right around this time. I believe the preview, I guess you would call it, or the kind of zero issue of their run was uh, last month, and the first issue, the first actual issue of the book that they take over started this month. And, of course, that introduced that introduces the big W on her costume instead of wearing the eagle, which of course she adorns the or she wears the W both last issue and this issue. And next issue. And probably the fourth one too. Uh page fourteen. Wait, wait wait, wait. There's a yet another way to get out of the zone. Uh more on this later. Page fifteen. At first I was trying to figure out how the zoners knew that Hal Jordan was Green Lantern. But then it occurs to me that they can see everything that happens outside of the zone, which means that they know, or could easily find out, the secret identities of all the superheroes, and even some supervillains. I wonder if they ever went up against any other heroes before, because that'd make them an even bigger threat. Can you imagine Kryptonians who know all their secrets? Think about that. They could have been a huge threat throughout the entire DC universe, DC multiverse even. But considering that in the Bronze Age, really the only stuff I've read is Superman books, I don't know. Uh, but in any event, it was nice to see that they didn't waste time explaining it to us in a caption. Although, if there's always the possibility of, of being a new reader, I guess they kind of should have. Because I had to think about it for a minute. Uh, but anyway, um, and then pages 25 through 27... Man, they really get rough with Supergirl here. And to show that the Zoners are evil, they have no qualms about hitting a woman. 
Overall, though, I thought this was a pretty cool issue. Zod and company definitely have some kind of a plan in mind when they get out of the zone and quickly go about implementing it. And while they apparently don't realize that Superman is in the zone, destroying the only means of sending them back to the zone all, and also not only is a good plan anyway, but it also destroys the only means of freeing Superman and Charlie. The problem is that the Phantom Zone has generally been set up as an inescapable place. But this is the second time that I've covered a story that introduces an alternate method for getting out of the zone, which just ha seems to lessen the effect of the zone. Now, before, I mean, back in the Silver Age, I know at some point there was a, like some kind of a whole leak thing from the Phantom Zone. I, Jimmy ended up going into the zone somehow. I don't know. It was, I didn't read it. I just I don't remember how I saw that. Maybe Billy Hogan covered it? Anyway. But we've had a world's finest issue way back where they were on a planet that seems to have been at the edge of the zone. I don't know how that works. And then now we've got this way to get out that doesn't involve any projectors or anything. Just, I mean, we'll find out exactly how difficult this is, but going through various levels to get out of it. It just seems to lessen the whole effect. The, the point of the Phantom Zone is it, is it is inescapable. The only way in and the only way out is a, through a projector. So, yeah. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. I was also hoping we'd get something cool, like the Zoners attacking various countries and trying to take over the world or something. Instead, we get an issue of them taking Green Lantern's battery and throwing the JLA satellite away. I mean, I understand what they're, that they seem to have a thought-out, meticulous plan that they are working on, and maybe I've been influenced by other stories involving the Phantom Zoners basically attacking various other countries and trying to take over the world, but I was just expecting more. There, there's a few things that bothered me, though. Why did they throw away the JLA satellite instead of just destroying it like they did the others? I mean, it would have killed the other... It would have killed the JLAers and would have taken them out of the pro problem... Anyway, granted, or I mean, it would have killed the JLAers inside, which would have also taken them out of the story. On the other hand, that would have killed the JLAers inside, which probably answers the question. You know, can't have that when most of them have their own books. Why didn't Jaxer kill Hal after the ring ran out of energy? Think about this. It's Jaxer. Think about the kind of guy he is. He's just tackled Green Lantern, threat, told him that he could easily break every bone in his body, and then decides to start melting the ring. Using the last bit of energy, Green Lantern swats him away. But the energy's gone. Why didn't Jaxer melt him, or punch a hole through his chest, or squish his head, or something? I mean, they just flew away. It just seems kind of pointless. Um, also, how did hitting Hal Jordan with the or heading Green Lantern with the battery not knock his head off. Mr. Flying Kryptonian. And then, of course, why did Supergirl go to Batman before checking the Fortress of Metropolis herself? Now, granted, I know it would have you needed a way to bring Batman to, into the story and move the story along, but it, it makes me wonder why... I mean, I would have thought she would have done one or both of those before going to Batman. Uh, having said that, though, the, the art on here was pretty cool, but the problems with the with it being muddy still persists. Also, Gafford, the, the, one of the things that got me, Gafford never colored in the dark parts of Green Lantern's costume. And, and while there is more shading on those parts, it still looks like a green and white costume, which is just wrong. 
the spots you can see are supposed to be gray, dark gray. And for some reason, they didn't do that. Uh, the fights that we do see, though, are dramatic and full of energy. And the one-panel cameo by the JLA actually looks really good. So I was pretty happy with that. But that's it for this issue. So uh, I'm going to go through my... Uh, oh, that's it for a minute. So I'm going to do a couple more promos, and we'll take a quick look at some of the ads for the issue. Charlie's GeekCast will be back after these messages. Hi, this is Professor Allen. And when I'm not listening to an awesome podcast, like this one, I'm co-hosting an awesome podcast, The Book Guy Show. Every week, we cover book news, book reviews, comic books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Search for The Book Guy Show on iTunes or come visit us at bookguys.ca. Sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to charlie's geekcast all right the inside front cover is mpc model kits featuring custom interiors turbine or mag wheels custom or z28 decals wheel well flares single quad or turbocharged engines with mpc options are standard equipment and they show all the different cars. There's some Jeeps and some trucks and some cars and even what looks to be uh, the Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit. Pretty cool looking. Uh, let's see. Next issue, or the next ad is a Bubble Yum ad. And this one is a maze getting the kids from the start all the way, uh, let's see, all the way to the prizes you can win at the end. Because, well, see, here's what you do. You do this sweepstakes to win exciting electronic and photographic prizes. First prize is a Panasonic Regivision with video cassette recorder and sound camera, a Canon AE-1 35mm camera, and two Polaroid SX-70s autofocus 2 cameras. There's two of those winners. Second prize is a Mattel Intellivision with four cassettes. That's a video game. And third prize is a set of four Mattel handheld computer games. And there's, let's see, two winners for first prize, 10 for second, and 100 for third. So not a bad chance. But you could have been, like, making home movies, taking a lot of pictures if you got the grand prize. That's kind of cool. Uh, let's see. Not to mention you get a VCR. Hmm. Next up is a Hostess ad starring The Flash. So, this time you don't have to deal with me. This time, the Hostess ad stars Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner. Okay, who do you want to play? 
Well, I know that you really, really, really like The Flash, and I know that you really like this version of The Flash, so I will be everybody else if you want me to. Okay. I will even set it up and transition us from scene to scene, because I, I really like panel two. All right, this is The Flash in Marathon Madman. And we see Barry Allen, he's getting an chewing from his boss. He says, I expect to see you running your fastest in the police department's marathon today, Barry. Gee, it's going to be hard for me, Flash, to slow down. Next day at the race, and we see Barry Allen. He's dressed in his, uh, what we, back back in the day, we lovingly called these nut-hugger shorts. <laughs> oh, God, you had to set me up with that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Something's fishy. Something fishy is going on up there. The Flash better have a look. Doctor Sorcery. His Philosopher's Stone has weakened. Doctor <clears throat> Sorcery. Why isn't that freaking Doctor Alchemy? Anyways, it should be Harry Potter. <laughs> Doctor Sorcery. His Philosopher's Stone has weakened the steel beams of the bridge. <laughs> that ought to make the race more challenging. Here's something that ought to challenge your taste buds, Dr. Sorcery, while I see if I can get this bridge to be a bridge again. Hostess Cupcakes, what chemistry, what taste, rich chocolatey cake, rich chocolatey icing. Plenty more at the finish line, Doc, but you can't get there unless you help me fix the bridge. Then we see everybody gathered around the finish line, and this dude goes, Oh, wait, no, that's a Dr. What's-His-Face, isn't it? Okay. I thought the I thought the word balloon was aiming at the other guy. He says, "You won, Flash. Hostess cupcakes make this race worth finishing." Speaking of finishing, oh god! Oh, that's the boss. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of finishing, if we're going to wait for Barry Allen to finish, we've got plenty of time to enjoy our hostess cupcakes. What is this asshole's problem with Barry Allen, anyway? I don't know. Barry Allen always had a boss that wanted to chew his ass out. There's not a whole lot of uh, of really good wonkiness to pick on. I mean, there is. Yeah. But the panel I like is if 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 Flash was more of a tough guy, in this panel where he's saying, "Here's something that ought to challenge your taste buds." <laughs> I'm thinking of saying something like, <laughs> "I don't know." Here, I'll put my foot in your ass or something like. I mean, all the he's he's an old wizard dude. What? <laughs> What is so hard about the, the... Wait a second. The line should be, if you want something to challenge your taste buds, I'll put my foot so far up your ass, you'll be tasting my cleats. <laughs> All right, that's perfect. I like that. Thank you, gentlemen. And moving right along to the next ad page is monogram model kits. You're noticing a trend here? And this one is... A turbo Trans Am like the one seen in the Smokey and the Bandit movie. Interesting. But yeah, just a bunch of cars. 65 Corvette, 32 Street Rod, another Corvette. Pretty good size and scale, too. Pretty interesting. If I liked models, which I don't. Next ad page is uh, the top half as as a hodgepodge ad with things like Kung Fu and self-defense. Plus, also, you can buy comics and poems set to music bottom half is an ad to sell grit which was still being sold a lot here inside back cover is the corvette challenge racetrack which you know what oh these aurora afx racetracks one of these my grandparents got when i was a kid and my grandfather and i would go back and play with these all the time Every Sunday, we would have a family get-together where 
uh, let's see, it was my grandparents, my mom, my dad, me, and my siblings as they came along. Uh, and this is all on my mom's side of the family. So we had my grandparents. They always hosted it, except for Thanksgiving and some birthdays. And New Year's was at our house. But they almost always hosted it. Then my aunt and uncle would come over. Sometimes my other another aunt and uncle would come over. My great-grandmother would be there. And then we'd show up. And if they were in town, I had another aunt, uncle, and a couple cousins that would show up. But my grandfather and I, we had a pretty cool relationship because he came over to keep me occupied so my mom could take care of my brother and sister when they were born because they were twins. He also, of course, was helping her with twins. But he also kept me occupied so I didn't feel left out and whatnot. So we became real close buddies. So this is a little before any of that happened, but we did have tracks like this. It was basically your average figure eight, two cars, and you race. And they were fun. But we'd go back in this back room and set up the race car track. We'd turn on the TV so we could still watch the football game that was inevitably on. I just don't know which one of these we had. Might have been this custom eight one but it was one of this these figure eight tracks and it, i mean this looks basically like what they had so it was uh good memories and then the back cover is that same lego challenge ad that was on at the back of the first issue of the miniseries lego challenge 8860 and that's it what's um jump in real quick and take a look at other comics that came out this month brainiac returns again in action comics 528 Adventure Comics 490 presents another adventure of Dial H for Hero. Best of DC 21 Digest, or Best of DC Digest number 21 features stories of the Justice Society of America. All Stars, speaking of the Justice Society, All Star Squadron number 6 features the team versus the Feathered Serpent, as well as Nazi soldiers from Baron Blitzkrieg and more. Brave and the Bold number 183 features a team-up between Batman and the Riddler, the death of Batman. Batman number 344 features Batman up against Poison Ivy. DC Comics Presents number 42 features Superman teaming up with the Unknown Soldier, as well as, well as backup feature Whatever Happened to the Golden Age Sandman. Detective Comics number 511 features Batman up against Mirage. Flash number 306 has him going up against the Mirror Master in Through a Glass Permanently. While this issue also debuts a new backup feature starring Dr. Fate. Green Lantern number 149 features the Emerald Gladiator versus Goldface. But this is part of the era in which we also got to see the Green Lantern Corps as a backup feature featuring Kat Matui, Aresia, Kilowog, Salak, and Chip. Justice League of America 199 features the JLA in a Grand Canyon showdown with a beautiful cover by George Perez. Just when it looks like the Lord of Time is about to win, Looks like Superman's going to save the day. But this is part of the big crossover featuring some of the Old West heroes. Jonah Hex, Cinnamon, Scalp Hunter, and Batlash. So that's pretty cool. Legion of Superheroes, number 284, features a story of the Soul Thief from the Stars. And it looks like most of the Legion's just getting thrown out into space 
So that's really not a good thing, because I don't think most of them can survive that. New Adventures of Superboy number 26 features Clark Kent becoming the grooviest guy in Smallville, while in a backup feature, Superboy meets Superboy, almost. Uh, New Teen Titans number 16. Main story features Starfire Unleashed, but the backup story is the debut of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. Superman number 368 features the Man of Steel becoming the Revenger of Steel, and Superman 2021 deals with a deadly new year. That, of course, being his... our Superman's great-grandson, I think. Something to that effect. Over in Superman Family, Crisis at the Crossroads of Time, where we see a different-looking Supergirl meeting up with our Supergirl. Oh, a Supergirl of the future attacking today's Supergirl. And the Supergirl of the future looks weird and has a funky costume. Although technically, I guess it's not all that funky compared to the current Superman costume. It's got a high collar um, and no red underwear at all or red pants or anything. So while uh, Superman, while the Mr. and Mrs. Superman take on the Ultra Ant and there's other stories featuring Superman, Lois, and Jimmy. And the one featuring Superman is actually a Clark Kent story, of course. Wonder Woman number 288. This is the debut of Roy Thomas and Gene Colan. Over on that title, Lookout World, Wonder Woman is busting loose, and this time, nothing will stop. It's a beautiful cover. No background, but a beautiful cover. And World's Finest number 276 is a George Perez cover. Looks like Superman and Batman are up against Double X. Green Arrow is in this title. Zatanna, Hawkman, and Captain Marvel also have stories. So that's pretty cool. And that's it for this issue uh, and for this episode. Let's see, next week, make sure you head over to Superman in the Bronze Age for part three of The Phantom Zone, which is at supermaninthebronzeage.com, but you'll also find the, that show posting at the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network as well as iTunes. And then come back here in two weeks for the grand finale and an important announcement. Same Chuck time, same Chuck channel. And be warned, the worst is yet to come. This has been an episode of Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. The show's website is www.charliesgeekcast.com, where you'll find notes and images for each episode. Please feel free to leave a comment there or email the show at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, and I'll read them on the air. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. I also have another show called Superman of the Bronze Age, where I cover Superman comics published between 1970 and 1986. You can find that at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com. Charlie's Geek Cast is an I Don't Have a Fake Company name production. All images and music used are copyright their respective copyright holders. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. 